Hi, and welcome to Him We Proclaim with John Fonville. We are heading towards the last few messages in our series on historic church liturgy. We've been giving you the background of all the elements of a church service and how and why each of them point us to the gospel and give us assurance and encouragement for our faith. Today we're looking at the elements of bread and wine and the Lord's table, or as it's often called, the sacrament of communion. These important symbols go hand in hand with the preaching of the gospel, and they engage our senses to help confirm that the gospel we receive is genuinely for us. Let's learn more now. Here's John with the gift of communion, part two. I want to briefly examine five directions with you that the Lord's Supper points us to look with the eyes of faith. So the first direction is we look back. In the words of institution, Jesus said this. He said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in the words of institution, Christ commands all believers to eat of the broken bread and drink of the cup, listen, in remembrance of him. Jesus identifies the bread as his body, the wine as his blood, and as such, this sacrament invokes us to remember Jesus' crucifixion on the cross for our sins. So when we are looking back, we are looking back to the death of Christ on the cross for our sins. So what does the gospel announce? The gospel does not announce that Christ died on the cross. Why is that? Because two other people died on the cross with Jesus the same day, right? And hundreds of other people died on Roman crosses, right? The gospel doesn't announce that Jesus died on the cross. The gospel announces that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. No other person did that. So that's the first direction we look. We look back. Secondly, the Lord's Supper directs the eyes of our faith to look in the present to the death of Christ on the cross for our sins. The Lord's Supper gives us a sense for the present saving work of Christ. We're often guilty of this mistake. Too often we come to the Lord's Supper with a past tense mentality only, only looking back and trying to remember something that Jesus did 2,000 years ago, right? We observe communion as though the saving death of Jesus was back then, God was in Christ reconciling sinners to himself. God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. But what is he up to now? Right? And so the Lord's Supper connects what Jesus did in the past with what he's doing now in the present. And so as we remember the Lord's death for us, we're not just simply looking back to what he did then, but the remembrance is to be cognizant. It is to be presently aware that Christ is present with all his saving benefits received through faith alone. This phrase when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, it is recalling the crucified, risen, living Christ in such a way that he is is really, not physically, but spiritually present with us in fullness and saving power now. 
He is the living Christ. So if you're calling upon him to save you, he has to be present and he has to be living in order to save you, right? It's not like he lived a long time ago and died. He died, he rose again, and he has ascended where he is ever living to make intercession for his people. And so he is our advocate. He is saving us now. And the Lord's Supper gives to all of us a sense of the present saving power of God now in the present. So how do we commune? How do we participate and have a present sense of Christ being with us? Well, the answer is faith. The answer is faith. Think about it like this. In the service of the word, in the preaching of the gospel, we are trusting that as we hear Christ proclaimed, we are by the Holy Spirit receiving Christ who's proclaimed to us, right? Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. You received Christ when you heard him proclaimed to you. And you receive that through the Holy Spirit, through faith. Likewise, in the administration of Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, we trust that as we see the signs of bread and wine, we are by the Holy Spirit receiving Christ who is signified and sealed to us in that bread and wine. It works the same way. We receive Christ through seeing with faith. We receive Christ by hearing with faith. And so in the words of distribution, when you come forward to receive the, the bread and the wine, what is said to you? These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. And so the Lord's Supper and baptism is simply a different form of preaching, a different form of proclamation. The sacrament has the same office as the preaching of God's word. What is that? It is to proclaim Christ. And so in proclaiming Christ, the Lord's Supper gives us a sense for the present saving work of Christ now. And it directs us to look in the present for Christ's saving power now. Third, the Lord's Supper directs the eyes of our faith to look outward towards fellow believers with whom we commune. The Lord's Supper is not just an individual act of spiritual devotion and piety. And maybe some of you have gone through this. It's been customary in some evangelical churches. This is how they administrate communion. They'll set up what they call stations, and they'll put it in four corners of the room that you're in. And they'll instruct the celebrants that you can get up and serve yourself communion when you feel like you're ready and they turn it into a private, individualistic act of personal, like a personal prayer time, a, a personal quiet time when you're at church with just you and Jesus, right? But that's not how the Lord's Supper is to be observed because we're not partaking for just my communion. It's not just me and Jesus in my little private quiet time on Sunday morning. The word communion means common union. Holy communion is meant to be a corporate rite where we commune together as one body of Christ. Listen to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17. He says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, 
for we all partake of the one bread. And so by this sacrament, God's gathered guests are connected to the body of Christ, and it serves as the unique, one of the unique marks of the Christian community. Did you know that no other religion in the world has a right, a sacrament like Holy Communion? It's very interesting that that is the only unique right that Christianity has. It's a very, very interesting uh, point. That it is a unique mark of the Christian community. And so Calvin, who was following Augustine from the 4th century, he describes the Lord's Supper, quote, listen, as the bond of love. The point is, is that communion with Christ cannot be separated from communion of the saints. Holy communion reminds us that we not only commune with Christ, but we commune with others in the body of Christ. In Romans chapter 12, verse 5, Paul says, We, though many, that is many individuals, are one body in Christ. And individually, we are members of one another. We belong to one another. We're not just individuals. We are one body in Christ. And so when we eat and drink together in the Lord's Supper, we're confessing that we're individually members of one another in the one body of Christ. And so this is where the Lord's Supper is so important for the unity of the church. This is where the church finds its unity. And the Lord's Supper then proclaims as we look outward to one another as we are partaking in the sacrament together, This sacrament proclaims that a rich man and a poor man can participate together. It proclaims to us that young and old, male and female, all ethnicities, social and economic standings can participate together in one common union, one corporate communion, one fellowship, because this sacrament tells us as we look outward at each other, we are all united together in one body in Christ. And so it directs the eyes of our faith to look out to each other in love. And so we have to be very careful that we maintain our relationships within the body of Christ, our relationships with our spouses, our relationships with our children, our relationships with fellow believers, and the relationship with the church leadership. And so this leads us to a fourth direction where we are to look. The Lord's Supper directs the eyes of our faith to look inward, to ensure that we commune with Christ and with the body of Christ in a worthy manner. In 1 Corinthians, you'll see that They didn't think that right relationships mattered when it came to partaking of the Lord's Supper. And so if you look at the book of 1 Corinthians, divisions plagued the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18, Paul says, when you come together as a church, he says, I hear that there are divisions among you. And so he says to them, so when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Chapter 11, verse 20. You see, the Corinthians were lacking love for each other. 
They were being selfish and greedy. Some were coming to the love feast. Back then in the first century, they had love feasts so that it was a whole meal, corporate meal of the body of Christ in which they would also celebrate the Lord's Supper. That's been, we don't practice that anymore, but some of the people, Paul says, you're even coming together to the meal and you're getting drunk. You're being selfish and greedy and indifferent to the needs of fellow believers in the body. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 21 and 22, he condemns the Corinthian self-centered disregard of others. He says, your coming together is not the Lord's Supper because you're neglecting the corporate aspect of what this supper is all about. You need to look inward, Corinthians, and examine your hearts. And that's why he says... To them, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, 28, he says, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And so we have to remind ourselves that as we come to this meal, it is a dangerous thing to share communion together and yet live in strife and division with fellow believers, denying that we are one body and individually members of the body of Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul, because this is not a regular meal, listened with this sobering warning that he gives in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Beginning verse 27, he says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. And so Christ loves his church and he loves his body and he doesn't want it torn apart by division and strife. And so the apostle Paul says, let a person examine himself. Take a look inward. Examine yourself so that you avoid partaking of this meal in an unworthy manner. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, the Apostle Paul says, If possible, no, this is not always possible, but he says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. If you've ever attended an Anglican church service, you will see that they observe the passing of the peace, right? They do it before they share in communion. Now, the first time I attended an Anglican church service, I sat there really puzzled because I was wondering, okay, they're going through the Lord's Supper liturgy, and all of a sudden they said, okay, everybody stop and get up and pass the peace and greet one another. And I'm sitting there going, why is everybody walking around saying good morning? Well, a little bit of study helped me. The passing of the peace was instituted in a practice in the church to make sure that at the Lord's Supper, all the believers in the church are at peace with one another before they come to receive the sacrament. And so you look at each other in the eye and you say to them, peace be with you or the peace of the Lord or whatever, however you want to communicate it. And if you can't look your brother or sister in the eye and say, peace be with you, then we might want to sit down and sort things out, sort these things out before you come and partake of Holy Communion together. It's a way to look inward, to make sure everything is okay in relationships in the body of Christ. 
Um, many times I confess that my wife and I have had to say peace to each other <laughs> very quickly and repent as we come to the worship service. It's a very good practice. It's a good spiritual discipline. <clears throat> Let me make one comment before we finish about this inward looking. We need to understand that as we take that inward look, as Paul directs us to do, examine yourselves. We need to understand that we do not make ourselves worthy by our self-examination. Nothing we do in this life makes us worthy before God, right? Because we're not saved by our works. So how do we partake in a worthy manner? Well, to partake in a worthy manner does not mean that we receive this sacrament purged of all sin. Years ago, when I didn't understand the Lord's Supper, I would be sitting there thinking, okay, there's no way I can receive this today. So I would literally get up during the service, and after the preaching was over, I would hightail it out of church and get away, as far away as I could get, because I was thinking, there's no way I'm going to survive this service at this point. But that doesn't, that is, partaking in a worthy manner does not mean that we examine ourselves to the extent that we've purged ourselves of all our sins. Now I'm worthy to come and partake. You're actually at that point totally unworthy to partake, if that's how you're thinking. Such a belief of being purged of all sin and now I'm worthy to partake because I've examined my life and confessed everything I can think of such a belief would exclude all of us from coming to the Lord's table because none of us are free from sin ever, right? Listen to how John Calvin explains this. He says, if it is a question of our seeking worthiness by ourselves through our self-examination, we are undone. Only despair and deadly ruin remain to us. Although we try with all our strength, we shall make no headway except that in the end we shall be most unworthy after we have mightily labored in the pursuit to make ourselves worthy. You see that? The harder he says you are trying to make yourself worthy, it is an empty pursuit that ends in despair and deadly ruin. It won't make you worthy. So stop trying to pursue to make yourself worthy because you cannot do that. Calvin says, Surely the devil could find no speedier means of destroying men than by so maddening them that they could not taste and savor this food which their most gracious Heavenly Father has willed to feed them. In other words, they don't think they can make themselves worthy. They've driven themselves mad to make themselves worthy. They know they're not. Therefore, they abstain from the sacrament. And Calvin says, that is exactly what the devil wants you to do. Because he wants to keep you away from tasting and savoring the goodness and grace of your heavenly father who loves you. So he goes on to say, in order therefore not to rush headlong into such ruin, let us remember that this sacred feast, the Lord's Supper, is medicine for the sick. It is solace for sinners and it is alms to the poor. Therefore, how do we make ourselves worthy? How do we partake in a worthy manner? This is the worthiness 
The best and only kind we can bring to God is to offer our vileness and our unworthiness to him so that his mercy may make us worthy of him. He says we despair in ourselves so that we can be comforted in him. We abase ourselves so that we might be lifted up by him. We accuse ourselves so that we might be justified by him. So how do we partake in a worthy manner? It's very simple. We sum it up like this. I'm not worthy to be at this table. I am a sinner. And Jesus says, welcome, come to my table. That's it. And so as we look inward at our souls, we're looking to see our sin and our need of Christ. And then we look forward outside of ourselves, which is the fifth direction we are to look. Having looked inward, we don't remain inward. Why? Because as we said last week, my problem is found inward. What is the Lord's Supper designed to do? Make me look out of myself to Christ, forward to him as he's promised to come again. So here's the fifth direction. The Lord's Supper directs the eyes of our faith to look forward in anticipation of the return of Christ. That's the fifth direction. We look forward. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, the Apostle Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, listen, until he comes. Every celebration of the Lord's Supper in the church is a miniature anticipation of the return of Christ. This sacrament is preaching to us the second coming of Christ. It is causing us by the eyes of our faith to look forward in anticipation of the consummation of God's kingdom, the hope of the gospel. In Luke chapter 22, verses 15 and 16, listen to what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So the Lord's Supper is a fulfillment of Passover. He says, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. This last Passover meal that Christ fulfills points forward to the great wedding feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb, literally when heaven comes to earth, the new heavens and the new earth. As a visible gospel, the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, directs the eyes of our faith to the great hope of the gospel. This is Titus chapter 2. It directs us to be waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the sacrament points the eyes of my faith to look forward to the second return of Christ, which is the hope of the gospel. The Lord's Supper also points us forward to final judgment. The second coming of Christ, Paul says, is very good news for those who are in Christ, trusting Christ now, right? It's our blessed hope. We are looking forward to his return. We're looking forward to the resurrection, to the new heavens and the new earth, to being with Christ and one another in a world without sin, without chaos, without wars, without plagues, without 
all sorts of just bad stuff. No more bad news headlines. We're looking forward to a perfect, glorified world. The hope of the gospel, the kingdom of God, consummated in all of its glory. And so the return of Christ is good news for believers, but it is terrifying news and judgment for those who are not trusting Christ. And so our self-examination at the Lord's Supper is just simply a form of judgment that we are giving to ourselves, judging, am I looking to Christ right now by faith, trusting in Christ who has borne my condemnation and my sins on the cross for me now? Am I trusting him now? And that's a healthy thing because when Jesus comes again and ushers in the consummation of his kingdom, the Bible says every person, every knee will bow and submit to his rule and reign. And it will either be a submission and bowing to glory and good news or it will be a submission and bowing to judgment forever. And so the next time when we observe the Lord's Supper, let us with the eyes of faith look back to the death of Christ on the cross. Let us look in the present at his saving work for us now. Let us look outward to fellow believers with whom we commune. Let us look inward to ensure that we are communing with Christ and his people in a worthy manner. And then let us look out of ourselves forward to the future, anticipating the consummation of the gospel and the return of Christ, which is really good news, the hope of the gospel. Amen. Thanks, John. That's a message called The Gift of Communion, Part 2. More from the series, The Gift Giver and His Gathered Guests, coming up next time. The heart of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. With each message, our prayer is you would hear, believe, and enjoy the gospel in your life. If you want to re-listen to or share any of these messages, you can find our smartphone app or locate our podcast by searching for Dr. John Fonville or Him We Proclaim. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to learn more about his local church in Jacksonville, Florida, you can visit ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.